You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and thanks for tuning in to tonight's Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. Lots of great guests on the lineup for you this evening. I look forward to the return of resident restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley, Dungarvan Breweries, Claire Dalton will be talking beer ahead of International Beer Day this weekend. My colleague Trish McMahon recently interviewed No Salt Chef Brian McDermott for The Exchange, so I'm going to play that interview for you. I'd promised to air Trish interviewing me about my Belfast food trail, and I'll play that next week. But as Brian is doing a cookery demo this weekend, A Taste of Cavan, I thought it would be timely to hear from him. Anthony Hennessy from Fulcher, Ireland, will have details about what food events are taking place during the month of August and no doubt Taste of Cavan with Brian McDermott will feature in there and possibly Taste of Donegal. If you want to get in touch with me, feel free to drop me an email s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. We're unbelievably at the start of August and regular listeners will know that resident restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley is in the hot seat the first Tuesday of the month. So let's not delay and find out where she has been dining of late. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Rachel, you're very welcome to the studio this evening. Thanks very much for having me, Sharon. And Great tonight, to you you're, you haven't gone far this week. Tell us where you've been. No, not even 20 minutes up the road. Um, I went to Adair Manor, the Oak Room in Adair Manor. It's uh, one of those places that I've often meant to go to, I've heard lots about, but never actually made it up there. So after they won the latest raft of awards, I think at the Restaurant Awards, I said I really have to go. So we, we visited there um, one July evening. And... The Adair Manor is somewhere that a lot of people would associate with afternoon tea. It yes. does a fantastic afternoon tea. I can personally really? vouch for it, yes. I've never been, actually. That is one thing that I really have always wanted to do. Um, but I suppose I never had an afternoon that I put aside for it. But I will have to address that in the future. Well, tell us about this lovely July evening that you went to Adair. Um, we popped out, I think it was a, it was a midweek evening, um, just kind of after work, and it is one of those very, very refined, elegant places, so even though it's only a midweek evening, even though we popped out after work, it has a dress code. So you still have to go home and get changed and get dialed up, but you know, there's something really nice about that. Uh, so many places now have gone so casual that it's lovely to have that sense of occasion and kind of get get dulled up and uh, go out and enjoy kind of a proper meal amongst really um, really kind of nice refined environment really old fashioned uh, obviously the decor is amazing it's a it's a gothic revival um, what is it gothic revival architecture yes um, it goes dates back hundreds of years it's all stone gargoy- gargoyles and um, candlelight and fires lit and all the rest of it so it's got that lovely atmosphere was it busy considering it was a midweek night that you were there? It was because I suppose tourists don't know what day of the week it is. Um, so there were a lot of visiting tourists there. Quite a few people who were staying in the hotel, but also people who might stay slightly outside of the village. But to them, obviously, they can't go to Adair without having a bite to eat in Adair Manor. Well, tell us about the menu then whenever you lifted it up and looked at it what were your first impressions um well there were two menus there's a tasting menu which is eight courses and um has obviously wine pairing to go along with it but given that we had worked the next morning we thought we wouldn't uh, try and be wheelbarrowed out of there that night so we went for the a la carte which was all very appetizing they got obviously very strong um 
Irish uh, kind of focus to the menu, which is obviously what you'd expect and, and which is obviously very nice to see as well. Um, but also it, it would suit all sorts of different uh, appetites. There's plenty there for vegetarians, plenty there for people who really wanted a kind of good steak and plenty there for people who just wanted something a little bit different. You know, for example, the amuse-bouche we had was tuna ceviche with ginger, uh, which is very interesting. It wasn't, you know, obviously ostensibly Irish, but it worked perfectly as something to whet the appetite. It was zingy and fresh tasting. So that was an amuse-bouche that each of you had. And then for starters? For starters, then, um, I actually ordered the roast breast of quail and braised leg, mainly because I was looking outside. We were seated at the window, um, looking out at these amazing grounds. And when you're treated to a view like that the only thing that comes to mind obviously is something like like uh, the the quail or pheasant or something along those lines so I had that served with uh, an actually a crispy quail egg croquette which I hadn't had before and uh, there were potatoes and thyme velouté as well served with it so it was a very earthy dish as you would expect but but cooked very very delicately so not overdone not even a tiny bit overdone it was perfectly it sounds delicious it was fabulous really really nice now. and the other starter um, Anthony had pan-fried foie gras, uh, which he absolutely adores. He uh, uh, has spent so much time in France now that he can't see foie gras without saying, is it cooked or is it going to be the uh, the raw, spreadable one? So he um, very much enjoys when he finds it on a menu as pan-fried and loved it. It was served with uh, poached rhubarb, which you don't see all that often on menus anymore. When I was growing up, it was served constantly with everything. Um, but it was a nice little kind of throwback to see it there, little tiny delicately poached barrettes of, po- of rhubarb which were lovely I like foie gras and pâté and things like that but I do not like them hot I know it's a curious thing people are, are either fall one side or the other and I would tend to agree with you to be honest Sharon there's something about the consistency when it's cooked that um, to me is it's not quite mousse and it's not quite solid it's something in between uh, but I think Anthony likes that slightly seared exterior giving way then to the to the soft interior he he really has taken to it. So he enjoyed that by the signs of Very it. much so. Barely shared a morsel. So I was lucky to get a tiny taste before he had to hand, hand back the plate. And what came next then? Were you on to your main courses then or was there something in between? You you obviously know Adair Manor. Yes, there was something in between. There was what they call a middle course, uh, which actually transpired to be the best course of them all. It was something so, so simple. We had, uh, I think they had an option of salad leaves or soup. Um, so despite the good weather, we opted for the soup because it sounded so good it was cream of onion uh, well actually not cream of onion it was just onion soup but served uh, with chorizo and parmesan bagnettes uh, or bagnet whichever way you want to pronounce it um, and they were it was just absolutely fabulous one of the most incredibly satisfying dishes I've had in a very very long time I think I actually wrote in the review that only good manners prevented me from storming the kitchen looking for some more it was fabulous so so tasty do they have nice breads on the table there or do you get to choose your breads that come around and tell you that this is such and such and such and such and such and such and they serve you out a slice indeed exactly um, they have that obviously that big basket and it's all there's a certain element of ceremony to everything that's, that goes on in, in Adair Manor which again is reminiscent of old fashioned dining and it's comforting it's nice to, to experience every once in a while um, so for example the soup was served actually in little sort of brass canisters and decanted into the soup, into the soup bowl at the table um, swirl, so it was decanted onto the chorizo and onto the little parmesan uh, pieces so it it was again part of the ceremony of, of eating which was fabulous so the um the bread was served in a big basket you could choose i think there was blue cheese bread there was fresh onion bread there was sage bread in other words everything really they you could imagine delicious. they were fabulous
Yeah. Main courses, Diane? Um, I had a main of roast monkfish. I just thought I'd go for something a little bit different. Um, and monkfish is a very meaty fish, which I usually enjoy. It was uh, presented absolutely beautifully. It was wrapped tightly in prosciutto uh, and then surrounded with grilled courgette, wild garlic, pesto, and then sauce vierge. Um, the only thing was that the, the it actually transpired not to be my most favourite dish because it, the fish was a little little bit dry and the prosciutto was just so salty I think I said it was salter than a sailor's curse here it was just it, it, it almost ruined it I ended up peeling off the prosciutto and eating the fish inside which is a pity you know because it is normally an excellent cut of fish it's a bit disappointing though it was a little bit yeah and, and everything else looked fantastic and um, individually it was all lovely it's just that that saltiness kind of permeated the fish which is a pity did Anthony fare better with his main course? Indeed, as he usually does. He has that uh, supreme look in his menu choices. Uh, he went for the rump of Irish lamb, which was fabulous. It was done perfectly, uh, the exact shade of pink that you'd expect. Um, it was served with kohlrabi, which I'm seeing an awful lot on menus lately. It's essentially cabbage, um, but it sounds obviously much more exotic. And uh, crispy sweetbreads, which were done beautifully, and uh, a very smooth butterbean puree, which was which was all worked beautifully together. That was the main courses. Was it straight on to dessert or was there another interlude of something else that was unexpected? uh, No, thank goodness, because there was we were reaching full bounds of satiety there. We couldn't possibly have had any more to eat. We uh, finished up actually by sharing a dessert, which worked perfectly. We had uh, ice cream, which was served with peanut butter donuts. Uh, very interesting I like the sound of that yeah so did we uh, simple and all as it is it worked beautifully they were, the, the peanut butter was very very smooth very very subtly flavoured uh, it was very kind of comforting dish to have in the evening time uh, it was served with raspberry gel and caramel custard so the whole thing was just um, just a very nice simple traditional uh, dessert almost childlike in its own way but uh, we really really enjoyed it as it was midweek, did you indulge in any wine throughout the, the, the meal? Well, the midweek thing wouldn't stop us as much as it probably should, but the driving did. Mm. So Anthony had wine and I didn't, um, but I think it was my turn. He had a half bottle of the, um, forgive my pronunciation here, the, but the Valpolicella eh, Superior, which is an Italian eh, Zanato, 2011, and it was quite pricey at €28. Euro. The half bottles were almost as expensive as the full bottles, which was a little bit surprising. The overall bill then, did you have teas and coffees or anything? Um, we did. We off? had a couple of uh, herbal teas, I think, yes. Um, the overall bill, I mean, well, look, it's never going to be particularly cheap. As you say, you're in a five-star hotel. But to me, it was it was fairly... Uh, I could justify it, I suppose, is the best way to say it. You're in a beautiful surroundings. Uh, the staff are fantastic. The food was excellent. Um, and it's a memorable evening, especially somewhere to celebrate or go somewhere with important news or something like that. Uh, so we spent €150, Euro, uh, which you wouldn't want to be doing every week, but at the same time, uh, it's it's probably justifiable for, for a special evening out. And it sounds like the service and everything was just fantastic. The, the whole experience was just wonderful. As everything is in a dare manner. You know, you can't go out there, I think, and have a bad experience. Um, the people are always so well trained so eager to look after you uh, the staff really are what make make hotels like that have their five stars absolutely well it was great that you were in somewhere in West Limerick given that this is West Limerick 102 <laughs> and Mark's out of 10 then oh I think I, I think I'd have to be in the sort of high eight eight and a half kind of region Okay, fantastic. Well, thanks for coming in and sharing that with us. You will be back next month and you're back in Galway. Back in Galway, exactly, uh, going for lunch. So something a little bit less filling as this time. Well, we look forward to that. Until then, um, have a good month. Thanks, Sharon. Looking forward to seeing you. Take care. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte.
Thanks again to Rachel. And if you have a restaurant that you think Rachel should hot foot it to, please drop me an email with all the details, s.noonan at live.ie, and I'll be sure to pass the information on to Rachel. Still to come tonight, lots of event info from Sinead Hennessy of Fulcher, Ireland and my colleague Trish McMahon's interview with No Salt chef Brian McDermott in advance of Taste of Cavan this weekend. But before that, it's time for some beer. It's International Beer Day this Friday, August the 7th and Claire Dalton from the Dungarvan Brewing Company in County Waterford joins us on the line now. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Claire, you're very welcome to the programme and you are part of Dungarvan Brewing Company. Tell us a bit about it. Yeah, um, we are, well, we're Dungarvan Brewing Company, which is basically myself and my husband Tom and my brother Cormac and his wife Jen. The four of us started it. Uh, we launched in 2010. We were a couple of years previous to that with setup, etc. But uh, we launched in April 2010, so we had our fifth birthday there earlier this year. Um, we started with a kind of a, a core range of three beers and our whole thing from the beginning was that we did bottled beers and bottled conditioned beers in particular, which is a bit different, I suppose, in Ireland at the time. Um, what's meant by that is that they, it's the traditional method of, of brewing and the beers undergo a second fermentation in the bottle. So as a result, we're not um, having to add gas. It's the natural carbonation that forms and it's an unfiltered product. So you can get a yeast sediment in the bottle, in the bottom of the bottle, sorry, which is totally natural and fine I was just going to say you started in 2010 so you must have been one of the first craft beer companies in Ireland there were a few before us um, I mean the kind of the, the daddies I suppose to us are Porterhouse and O'Hara's and Carlo who would have started in the late 90s at the time we started I think there were six microbreweries in the country um, now Trouble Brewing and Kildare started at the same time as us. We came on board and the following year there was an 8 degrees started and it was kind of growing slowly but then all of a sudden in the last two to three years it just exploded a little bit and I think we've gone from the six that were there before us to I think the last number I mentioned, I heard mention of was 65 for up at about now. So it's really grown but most of that has been I'd say in the last two to three years. And your portfolio of beers has grown also because you have a core range there plus a seasonal range. Yeah, well, we started uh, initially with three beers as our main range and we started introducing seasonals to that as well. So we would have a summer beer, a winter beer to go alongside that. We added a fourth to our main range last summer. So we we now have a main range of four and a seasonal kind of going along with those at all times. Um, so generally we have five available and then we would do some specials and one-offs especially for festivals and things like that as well because it's kind of fun to bring something different and try out new beers and play around and everything for, for things like that So, Do you find that five. Do you find that one or two of them in the portfolio are the, are more popular? I'd say so, yeah um, Helvet Gold or Blondale would be our most popular, kind of always has been really um, it's also the one I said there we started off in bottle we started kegging kind of last year really just o- just over a year I suppose we're kegging whereas also we go the other way around start off with kegs and move into bottles we, we were kind of turned that on its head um, so how the gold is the one that we mainly keg as well um, so that is our, our kind of biggest seller but then we have a red ale called Copper Coast which actually isn't too far behind us because we find that it works really well in restaurants and with food and you know, a, a lot of a lot of the kind of the food outlets. Um, that's the one that sells better there. 
Um, and since we introduced the Mine Head, our American Pale Ale, which we brought in last year, that really took off a much much more so than we expected because it's a very hoppy beer. It's a very full-on flavour, so we didn't know what it would be to everyone's taste, but that's really gone down well, so that's kind of creeping up as well, so it's all good. Give us a few examples of foods that the beer goes particularly well with. Um, oh, we've got loads. I suppose I mentioned there the Copper Coast, the Red Ale. Um, that's one. It's kind of got some sort of caramel and multi flavours to it, and we find it works really well with kind of meats and roast meats and barbecue and things like that because of the you know, that caramelisation that you get in meat and everything as well kind of works well with it. Or Helvet Gold, um, we find great. It's a great one with spicy food. It's great for fish and seafood because it's got, it's got a hop called Cascade in it, which is quite citrusy. And uh, we find that works really well with the seafood and stuff like that. You've got some of your classic pairings then, like um, stout and chocolate or um, or stout black rock has kind of some vanilla notes in it. So it works really well with um, things like a panna cotta or, you know, kind of vanilla flavour desserts like that. But also, um, we do a lot of cheese pairings as well. We work with a lot of the farmhouse cheese makers and um, things like the stout and blue cheese is a classic, or I personally love with crozier blue the, or black rock. They're sort of some of the things that we do. So we like to play it around as well and not, you know, even work with sweet and savoury, not just to have one match per one, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I've never heard of stout and chocolate before. I must give that a go now. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I'll have to try that definitely. Mm -hmm. And the the products have also been used to make foods such as sausages. That's right. Um, We've had we've had a few different people using them now. Um, We had uh, McCarthy's and Canturk have done a few different meat things. They've made sausages. They've also um, they sent us a lovely food parcel last Christmas. They did a beer brine chicken and. uh, beer brine pork and things like that with it. Um, we also work with a few different food companies. Kyo's Farm use um, or stout or black rock in their beef and stout flavour crisps. Um, we're also just on the verge, I think, of launching with Ballymaloo Relish or bringing out a new steak sauce, which again uses our stout in it. And we worked with, um, sorry, we, we have worked for the last couple of years in Oregon this year with uh, Series Bakery in Carla, who make a lot of Christmas puddings and fruitcakes and things and use um, those Copper Coast and the Black Rock in those. So it's great. It's fun as well to kind of do those sort of jobs and to, you know, see other ways to use the beer, I suppose. Well, it certainly shows off how versatile the product is. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. You do tours of the brewery. I'd imagine they're quite popular with tourists, but also with locals. Yeah, with both. Um, We we get a lot of people um, looking to, I suppose, it's slightly different here in Ireland. Um, in America, the beer travel is huge and people would choose, let's head off to wherever this weekend and go visit the brewery and all that. We're slightly different here in that um, our breweries generally aren't licensed because we're not retail licensed. So, we, we, you know, people kind of expect to come and find a, a tap room that they can sit and drink beers and stuff. So we don't have that. So we do like to offer some things because we have a lot of people coming to visit. So what we do is we run a, a tour and a tasting session where you come and you kind of get the talk on brewing and look at all the ingredients and kind of the hops and malts and everything and handle them all and have a look at them and sniff and sniff them and taste them and everything and uh, we show the brewing process and then we follow up follow that with uh, tutor tasting of the beers and maybe even some food pairings and things like that with them just you know some tasters go with it just again to show people who's might have you know thought of pairing foods with beers or things like that but how you could, different ways you can use beers and I think people also enjoy the kind of tutor tasting because they're not always sure maybe why they like a beer or as it kind of 
forces them to try a beer, you know, where someone says, oh, I wouldn't drink stout now. And you say, well, look, do you want to try this? And you talk them through it and they kind of look at it differently, maybe, or understand the flavours a bit better and, and kind of have a new appreciation of it. So that's good as well. And when they come to those tutored tastings, they're in very good hands. In fact, they're in expert hands because you yourself and your husband, Tom, you're beer sommeliers. And I believe you're one of only four female beer sommeliers in Ireland. Um. Yeah, that would be right. I know I was the second female. But yes, I think you're right. Yeah, there are four now. Uh, Tom and I were the fifth and sixth in Ireland to get get the accreditation. And I think there's about 12 or so now at the moment. Um, so we're delighted with that. Um, it's, uh, it was great, uh, great fun studying for that one, I must say. Now, there was a lot in it, but uh, we, we, we got through it together, so that was good. Was that an intensive course over a weekend, or did it did it run over a number of months? What did you have yeah. to do to get the accreditation? Well, before we could go for the sommelier assessment, we had to do certain other courses, so we qualified as beer judges first, and then we had to do a two-day advanced course which um, you were learning about the brewing process, learning about beer flavours and learning about all the different beer styles and, and food pairing and things like that. Um, after all that, then we went for assessment and a part of the assessment was to bring a portfolio to show where you had used. We do a lot of work um, on, you know, working with menus with people, pairing up foods and beers and, and we've hosted a lot of uh, beer and food events and things like that. So all of that was part of our portfolio of work. And then the actual assessment itself, um, consisted of doing blind taste testing of many different types of beer and just having to talk about the beer, identify the style, talk about the flavours and then talk about food pairings and things like that. And also um, there was a a round of off flavours where you had to identify the off flavours and why they might be present in it and, you know, some of those might be as part of the brewing process, some might be handling and just, you know, why, how you could correct it if they could or what you would do to make them not be there, I suppose, as well. So, it was fairly intensive, but um, it was good that the two of us, I suppose, were doing it together because we got to enjoy all the beers and do our study together and um, swap notes and everything on, on, on the beers that we were drinking, compare notes and things like that. So it was good that it was both of us together. I think, I don't know if um, the marriage would have lost if just one of us was sitting down every night <laughs> with their flights of beers to drink for the night. From talking to you and listening to you, it's very clear that you're very passionate about it. Where did the interest in beer and craft beer in particular, where did it start and when did it start? It, it all started initially with um, Cormac, my brother, who, as I said, started with us. Um, he's our head brewer and he was just always into home brewing as a hobby himself. He's also into food, into bread making and sausage making and things like that. Um, but he, he got, uh, Tom and I had been living in Dublin when we moved back to Dungarvan. He kind of got Tom, first of all, interested in his beers and trying his beers and things like that. And then Tom sort of started doing the home brewing with him. And between the four of us, we would have socialised a lot together and stuff like that. And we were always kind of saying, wouldn't it be great if we could, you know, get this going? And we could see it coming. We could see it was happening in the UK and in the States and in other European countries. So we we knew it was going to come to Ireland. And um, so we started looking into it um, properly in about 2007 and working with the Local Enterprise Board doing a feasibility study and everything like that. Um, 2007, 2008 maybe so it was 2010 then by the time we actually got to launch but uh, it was through him really and um, that he started it and then I suppose sparked something in the rest of us and then when I mean I've been working full time in it for over five years so you're talking about it all day <laughs> you're, you're, you know, you're trying to try out as many beers as possible and learn about it yourself so 
I suppose it just just kind of grew, so it's great to kind of have so much interest in what you're working in as well. So it's great to have something like that. And also great that you the products have won various different awards, like the Blossom Aaron Awards, for example. Yeah, yeah, we we've won uh, gold at Blossom Aaron. Uh, we also won at the Brewing Industry International Awards in 2011, which they're pretty huge. Now they're in Burton and Trent, which is the home of brewing in the UK and this big beer centre and everything there. Um, so we're delighted with that one. We also picked up a couple of medals earlier this year at the Alltech Awards in, in Dublin. So they had the Dublin Cup and we won two bronze medals at that for our Minehead and our Mahan Falls, which is our spring season of such that time. So delighted with all of that, yeah. It's widely available throughout Ireland and people can get more information on dungarvanbrewingcompany.com. You have details of all the stockists there and you're listed with Palace Foods. That's right, yeah. Um, so it was widely available, especially through the restaurant sector because of the Palace Foods listing, which is great to get as well. We've been working with them for about three years now, I think. Um, so we found that just a great way, especially initially to get it out there, to get it across the country. Um, so, so yeah. Well, thanks so much for talking to me, Claire. I must wish you happy International Beer Day for oh, this Friday, <laughs> the seventh of August. No doubt you will be celebrating in true Dungarvan Brewing Company <laughs> style. So we say cheers to you for that, and thanks again for talking to me. Thanks for being Sharon. You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to tonight's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and if you have just joined us, we heard earlier from resident restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley and just before the break, Claire Dalton from Dungarvan Brewing Company in Dungarvan was chatting and I for one, I'm looking forward to International Beer Day this Friday. Any excuse? So cheers to that. Never fear if you missed some of the show as it will be up in the Best Possible Taste podcast later in the week along with all the previous shows and you'll find the podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show and still to come tonight Sinead Hennessy from Fulcher Ireland will give us the heads up on all the food events taking place during the month of August and one such event will probably be Taste of Cavan and maybe Taste of Donegal which I think is on at the end of the month No Salt Chef Brian McDermott will be doing a cookery demo during that event and my colleague Trish McMahon from The Exchange which is on West Limerick 102 Monday to Friday half 11 in the morning until 1 o'clock recently interviewed Brian so I thought it would be timely to play that for you so let's have a listen cheers chin chin salut now uh, i think a lot of people will find this an interesting piece because on the line i've brian mcdermott hello brian how are you i'm great thank you trace yourself not a bother at all on me and you're the no salt chef I am indeed. Um, <laughs> seems strange as a title, but um, I'm sure we'll reveal that over the next few minutes. Yeah. So, uh, Brian, do you want to, to tell us a bit there about, I think you're based in Northern Ireland. You have a cookery school up there, have you? We are. I'm up here in the in the Inishon Peninsula. So we're up in Donegal um, and we're not having summer weather, I can tell you today. But <laughs> No, we're not uh, down yeah. here either. Yeah. <laughs> Our cookery school is there as well. So for me, I suppose, then, it was myself as a professional chef for um, 26 years. Um, about five years ago, um, I took a heart attack, believe it or not, and I was only 34 years of age. Okay. So quite a shock, really, when you're in the kitchen and that happens. Um, and for me, then, it was really to, 
address, you know, what may have caused that. Was it lifestyle? You know, was it hereditary? And I think I think I want some to blame as well um, for my own mental state. So I looked, and the, and the thing that kept coming out to me was the overuse that I had of salt, particularly in my food as a chef, and then the overuse of salt in the processed food industry as well. So um, was that the number one contributor? I'm not so sure, but it certainly uh, it eased the burden and the pain for me um, in, in giving it some part of blame. Yeah, so that's interesting. You identified the salt as 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 one of the the precursors to the heart attack, and you you were thirty five at the time, is that right? I was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that was very young to 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 get a heart attack. It is, and yeah. and I suppose when you look at chefs as well, I mean we're all trained classically, which means you know you're trained in the old French style, which is the butters, butter, and, the bean yeah. and the salt. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you take food in general when you're selling it commercially, whether it be restaurant, hotels, or otherwise, when you're trying to sort of season that and bring flavour to it. You know, it's very simple how, how we taste our food. And, and this is always an important point that I try to get across because when we taste food, you know, if you're going to have a sandwich at lunchtime, someone's sitting down to a cup of coffee now or a soup, it's your taste buds that are the key and huge factor. So how do they work? And just very simply what happens is we've got four taste buds, which are sweet, sour, bitter, and salt. So when you taste anything in your mouth, there are little receptors on your tongue, different area, and they send a very quick message to your brain. So for me, um, I was overusing the salt. I mean, I hold my hands up and say I was doing that for 20-odd years as a chef. And what happens is it kind of kills the other three taste buds. So that addiction mm. and that craving for salt, you know, I'm sure there's not a person listening that couldn't identify that to, to rural Ireland where you yeah. had the, the, the sexual salt cellar on the table. And, you know, I watched my dad going over and back his table, over and back the, the plate of his food and then turning it. It was like he was playing X's and O's on the top of his yeah. chair, you know, going <laughs> back to the 80s and... And, you know, and unfortunately, I watched him at 46 drop with a heart attack as well. So the signs were there for me, both in the usage of salt from him and also in relation to the hereditary problem that could exist for me. So really, it's very simple. Food is simple. Food is about applying heat to good produce and then getting the taste buds to work the sweet, the sour, the bitter and watch the salt. But it is important to say your body needs some salt. Mm -hmm. Get that naturally. We can get it from, you know, we're an island. If we eat more fish, we'll get it naturally from the sea. But I suppose the big issue for me, and I've worked in this industry as well, is, you know, the processed foods. And if you look at the last 20 years, really, to see what salts have crept in. And and I do blame um, the big multiples, really, for for this whole obesity and poor health that that Ireland has had for the past 20 years. Definitely. There's so much salt. There's so much hidden salts and sugars in processed foods that uh, I think people would be shocked if they actually um, saw how much was in it. But you made a very interesting uh, point there, Brian, about desensitize your, your taste buds can become desensitized because I use a lot of salt myself. My uh-huh. sister has been giving out to me saying there's salt already in that and I always know that I always need a bit more salt. So I can really relate to the desensitization of your taste buds to salt that you seem to need more and more to taste it. You do, and, and that, that's just because of overuse, maybe mm-hmm. that you are heavy-handed with the salt. So what you've got to do and what listeners can do now from today on, really, to try and improve the way that they eat, and you'll enjoy your food far more by doing this, is look at the other three taste buds and where you can naturally get those flavours. And I'll give you a couple of examples because just take for a minute, maybe somebody's about to make a tomato and basil soup now it's summery and they've got some tomatoes that have eventually started to become red about a month behind every other year. You know, a lovely, simple tomato and basil soup that doesn't need salt, come to the end of it and the zest of a little bit of lime or squeeze of a lime, that's sour and bitter in terms of those taste buds. And what happens is when you taste that, you just zest that onto the top of your tomato and basil soup before you serve it. That distracts 
your taste buds away from the salt one because, you know, think of a sour Granny Smith apple or a sour lime. Yeah. You know, you almost scringe up, but it gives you that lovely zestiness and freshness. So it's about improving the other three taste buds. And when they're very powerful, eventually the salt one start to ease its way back because very often I'm asked, you know, how long did it take for you? You know, just did you ditch salt overnight? I had an absolute nightmare for about six months. I couldn't taste food at all. And then I remember one particular day because, you know, when you're, when you're going through cardiac issues, there's obviously a rehabilitative process that happens when you've got to get back to some sort of capacity, especially when, when you're my age and you're so young. And I remember volunteering really locally here in Inishon in the community garden. And this guy was so proud of growing broccoli. He says, do you want to taste it? I thought, I can't, I can't taste raw broccoli. But I picked a little bit and, and it was just to be courteous to him. But there was actually this beautiful flavor in my mouth. And I thought, do you know what is that? What am I getting? And what I was actually getting was a bitter flavor, which is the flavor of broccoli. And what I'd been getting for the 20 years previous to that were the butter that I was adding to it and the salt before I would have served it. So right now, I'm actually starting to taste food for what it is and appreciate it for what it is. So there's less to do with it in terms of the cooking than to make it more exciting. Let it speak for itself. The natural flavours come through. Yeah, I think good cooking is heading that way. That's just more exposed cooking, not smothering everything in butter and cheese and and fatty sauces. Let the let the ingredients speak for themselves. But you spoke there. Um, I found that very interesting, Brian. You spoke about the four different uh, uh, tastes. One was bitter, sweet, salt. What was the other one? Yeah, and so it's sweet, sour, bitter, and salt. Sour. Are four. Okay. And I mean, um, another very quick example just on that is if you look at. I often say that when I'm doing demonstrations around the country, I would always say to the audience, you know, maybe 20 years ago, Ireland wasn't ready for wine and wine coming into Ireland. And can you remember the first time you tasted wine? I can guarantee you that yeah. when people would have said, oh, it's <laughs> like horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's horrible. I and still I find it horrible. <laughs> yeah. And you would have went for wines that were sweet. You know, you know the brands that they're out there. They yeah. still exist on the shelf. But the first wines that people drank, they tend not to be drinking them anymore because what has changed is not the wine, it's actually your taste buds. So you can train them, they can change, and you're, you picked up on a very, very valid point, which is we've lost our homely cooking skills. It's starting to come back, and that's what I love about doing so many demonstrations nationally at food events and festivals, or if it's here in my cookery school in any show, it, you're giving something back. And remember one thing about cookery skill, skills is that no one owns them. And I feel like, you know, you think of your first food memory, it's usually from a home setting, it's your mum's or it's your grandmother's or something like that. So I feel there's an obligation really as a chef to give those skills, to pass them on, whether it's to to my children or people that that come to the cookery school. So they'll be here while we're long gone. So I think this this kind of whole thing about chefs and, you know, having the skills and having the flair, that's okay in a commercial setting, but the reality of it is back in the home, how can we improve the way that people eat, cook and take control of their health and their life back the best way you'll get your vitamins is from natural food that's not processed, uninterrupted, and just applies a little bit of heat to good produce. Yeah, that's that's an excellent point. And I'm just thinking of chefs out there that have their own families and young children. If you can get children in and tasting what 
food actually or as you say broccoli tastes like without because I used to automatically put a sauce with everything I don't anymore I've started to just steam veg and uh, I've started to use a little bit of herb amir, which has kelp and stuff in it but there's yeah. no salt in it and uh, you can really like vegetables actually taste lovely they might just need a little bit of I just put in the tiniest little bit of butter and then just a bit of herb amir, and I, I steam them but I don't put sauces on stuff anymore yeah, and I think I think that's an Irish thing, you know, where where we feel that, you know, if we don't get a sauce with our meat or if we don't get potatoes and we don't get vegetables, it's not really a meal. Yeah. You know, that that is going to change for a number of reasons because it's going to change because of the protein and the meat shortage that that is not a million million miles away from us in terms of about 20, 30 years. And um, so you're going to find a lot more vegetables and I mean, look at the amount of green space we have in Ireland. We are going to become a huge nation in relation to the growing of produce. Already, our meats that you've touched on are globally recognised. Our beef is brilliant, our fish, all of that. You touched on the butter. Look at the fashion of butter. And, you know, food is fashion. Butter is starting to creep back into favour again in yeah. terms of it. You know, I won't say super healthy, but it certainly has um, better benefits than some of the spreads that have eventually sneaked onto our shelves. Because 25 years ago, it was we need to move to spreads. You know, needs to be olive oil based. Now we've got our own rapeseed oil in Ireland. Everything is changing. So... Butter is coming back, and again, the only people that weren't eating butter for the last 10 or 15 years was ourselves, but the rest of Europe were screaming for Irish butter. So yeah. food moves, food turns around and trends, but again, you're a really good point. There's lovely natural ingredients that you can get. You know, you mentioned some of them, which is on our coast. You know, we've walked on them for years, never knew what they were, <laughs> and there was no education around them. We, as an island, could actually sustain ourselves completely but the likes of your vegetables, you know, and maybe a bit of butter and a little bit of those um, seaweed-based flavorings, which have natural salt, which then gives you the right amount of salt for your body. It's not hidden, it's not processed, and it's releasing both beautiful flavor and the key ingredients and vitamins that you need. Okay, now you mentioned about soup. I'm a big soup maker. I'm always making my own homemade soup. And I'm just interested, trying to get flavor into soup without putting in uh, salt. Now, uh, have you any tips? I know you gave a tip there of the lime and lemon juice, squeezing a little bit of that in at the end. I've done that before as well. Mm-hmm. Is there any other ways that we can substitute salt in our diet? Definitely when it comes to vegetables, because when you're, when you're looking at a soup in general, the first thing you've got to do is actually mature the flavour of the vegetables. And you do that through a sweating process, so it's not frying. You know, there's soup makers on the market, there's pots people, they literally just throw in all of their vegetables and they boil them up. No, you've got to sweat the vegetables. You've yeah. got to release the flavour of the carrots, the onions, the celery, the leeks, and a bit of garlic and whatever you're using. Mm-hmm. At that stage, get in some herbs because herbs are essential. That is the one saviour that I have at the moment within the repertoire of ingredients, and that is to, to look at the herbs and to see where you can sneak them in. I'm going to give you one key tip when it comes to using herbs for me, and that is that there's only two types of herbs as far as I'm concerned. There's woody textured herbs, which is your rosemary and your thyme because they're quite robust and then there's light leafy herbs which is your basil your parsley your sorrel your coriander so the rule that i'll apply is if they're woody textured herbs they go in at the start of cooking very early because they can withstand long cooking so for example rosemary can go into roasts and stews and casseroles because it's going to take an hour an hour and a half time the same but when it comes to light leafy herbs you add them last minute to the likes of your soup so i touched on the tomato and basil soup earlier if you're going to add um basil to your tomato and basil soup make the soup first and then once it's matured and the flavors are good and you've liquidized it or blended it that's when you add the basil last minute because basil goes black yeah flavor disappears very very quick in relation to that so sweat your vegetables the key to a very very good soup in general 
When it comes to the stock, you know, again, this is an old, I think it's an old thing where we look at, you know, we need that sort of salty stock flavor. There is superb um, stocks that are out there and on the market that are literally zero salt or a very, very small percentage of it. But you've got to ask yourself the question as well, which is, do I need stock? Because we automatically assume, right, that needs a stock. You know, and if so, we use a vegetable stock. But quite literally, when you swap those vegetables and you add in your cooking liquid then, you're actually producing a stock within mm-hmm. that soup anyway. So tea, sweat the vegetables, develop the flavor, you know, season it, season it with a little bit of pepper for me, um, depending on the soup. And then there's all our light spices that can creep into it. You know, if you want maybe a little bit of heat or you want a pinch of chili going into it, there's one key thing, and that is remember your audience when you're cooking just because I absolutely yeah. love a bit of chili yeah. in my tomato soup. I know, You know, I and know. I'm about to serve it to my six-year-old. It's not going to work, so <laughs> no. keep an eye on your audience. Your audience yeah. is your family, your friends, or whoever you're cooking for. But again, I love the zestiness at the end. Instead of cream, I love a little bit of yogurt going into the soup, just literally over the top of it. Yeah. A great way at the end as well is to get your likes of your croutons, but to actually make sure they're cooked and infused right through with the fresh herbs and no more than three herbs for any soup is my golden rule because a mixed herb recipe is a disaster because we can grow 300 different types of herbs in Ireland. So they're not all going to get on. They're not all going, they're going to battle with flavor. So yeah. we go back to the point both of us made, which is less is more in general. Yeah. And of course, parsley is, is a great uh, multivitamin in of its own. And once you start growing that, it completely, it just takes over. I have I have those growing out in my garden and I just go out and pluck them as I need them. But how do you manage to um, uh, grow basil, Brian? I, I never managed to grow basil successfully. I, I'm going to be absolutely brutally honest here. And I'm going to, I said this when I was in Limerick last week with Rachel Allen. We were demonstrating, we were demonstrating again this week in Donegal, the both of us. The one herb that I love, I absolutely love, is basil. I love basil. The one yeah. herb that I can't grow is basil. basil. <laughs> <laughs> and it's absolutely eating me alive at the moment. I could stock and supply, I would say, number of shops with the amount of other herbs that I can grow within mm. the kitchen garden that we have at the Kirkwood School. But I just can't get basil to grow. And look, hands yeah. up, every time I come to a demonstration, I will say, look, this pot of basil I have picked up in my garden centre on the way here because I just cannot grow it. Yeah, I'd love to be making my own pesto, but I can't seem to grow enough basil. It just dies off on me, even if I have it inside. But But I love the smell of it as well. Yeah, you know, sorry for interrupting, but you know what makes lovely, lovely pesto as well is the likes of your rocket lettuce. You know, we think basil, pesto, parsley is gorgeous. The likes of spring onion and scallions, they all make a beautiful pesto, equally just as good as the basil one. So, Basil, when we can't grow it, becomes a little bit expensive at times and we need a lot of it to create um, our pestos where we might go out to our garden and we see, wow, look at the amount of basil or parsley that we have. Use that or the amount of rocket as a lettuce that we're growing. They make absolutely gorgeous pestos and that's a way of extending your season because they all bolt almost. If you go away for a couple of days and you come back after a festival, you just see, wow, they've all shot and they've bolted. That's the time to get them picked, save them, okay. turn them into a pesto, and you'll still be eating that with beautiful freshness out of your fridge at Christmas. That's a good tip, actually. That's something I'm going to do. Do you want to give out your website there? Because I know you 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 go all around the country doing various different things. So give out your website there so people yeah. will be familiar with you. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so you can jump onto our website. There's um, recipes on there. And also you can find out where I'm demonstrating next. Um, we have a new book coming out in October. And thankfully, I'll be back on the RT Today show with Dahi O'Shea starting back again in October, so watch out for that. So our website is www.thenosaltchef.com and feel free to email us if there's any allergens or dietary requirements that you have. 
send us off an email and also details of our cookery school is on there. Fantastic. Brian, you're very good to come on. Thanks a million. Pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, you heard the interview that Trish McMahon from The Exchange did with Brian McDermott, the No Salt Chef, a couple of weeks ago. And earlier in the show, resident restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley was here with details about her latest dining spot. And Claire Dalton from the Dungarvan Brewing Company was on the phone ahead of International Beer Day, which takes place this Friday. You can listen to those interviews again if you wish when they go up in the Best Possible Taste podcast which is on soundcloud.com and they'll be posted there later in the week. Now every month we hear from Sinead Hennessy from Fulcher Ireland to get details on what food related events are coming up on the calendar. This month is no exception and Sinead joins us on the line now with details for August. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Sinead, you're very welcome to the programme this evening. Thanks, Sharon. And a busy month for August? Very busy, very busy. Um, busier than July, actually. Um, the, the, all of the food businesses seem to be hiking up and doing very well so far this year, and they're keeping the momentum up for August. Which is fantastic news that everybody's doing well and Great. enjoying themselves yeah. while making a bit of money, hopefully. Yes, that's it, that's it, keeping busy. Earlier in the show, we heard an interview that my colleague Trish McMahon did with the No Salt chef, Brian McDermott, and he's going to be at A Taste of Cavan this weekend. That's right. Um, it's it's happening on the 7th and 8th of August, which is this Friday and Saturday. Um, it's going to be located in a, a different location, which is the Equestrian Centre in, in Cavan this time around. But, and there's going to be a few events happening in the town of Cavan but I suppose the good news with 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 the the event this year is the Cavan Express train is going to be running between the town and the event. Oh excellent that sounds very novel. Yes yeah I think I think it would be a great addition to the to the overall experience. And the major advantage of an event like this being held in an equestrian centre is you get the balance between indoor and outdoor so if the weather isn't in your favour there is plenty of shelter there. That's it. And, you know, with with such a kind of a large open space as well, you know, it's going to be well run. Parking won't be an issue. Um, you know, they're, they're queuing and that kind of thing. It'll alleviate all of that side of things. So it's going to, it would be more seamless to, to attend it. Lots of cookery demonstrations at it then, including Brian McDermott. That's right. Um, yeah, Brian McDermott is going to be down there. They, as you said, loads of food demonstrations. Um, it really is a jam-packed program for for this year. I suppose just to add to that, there's going to be over 100 exhibition stands um, with food and craft beers locally and from Ireland. So there's going to be loads happening around the demonstrations. Of course, Nevin Maguire is going to be opening the festival on the Friday and he's going to be doing some demonstrations there as well. Um, loads of, of Ireland's top chefs are going to be there. Shane Smith is also going to be down there doing demonstrations from Fallon and Byrne. Adrian Martin from Craft Butchers of Ireland. Um, and of course, Rachel Allen is going to be there as well. So there, there's going to be plenty happening over those two days. 
I interviewed Brian McDermott last year when he was at an event here in West Limerick and he said, you can't have a food festival without Nevin Maguire. That's it. That's it. He really kind of adds to it. And I mean, he is such a... Um I, he's such an approachable character as well, um, and and really kind of ta- really kind of integrates uh, with with the the visitors to a festival. So he's a great addition to to any festival, and of course loves Cavan. And it's just on his doorstep, so of course he was always going to be there. That's right. Actually, what's uh, there's something that interests me as well. It's happening in in the town or just outside in the Radisson Farnham Estate. Um, on the Saturday, they are going to be doing a foraging walk um, on uh, at lunchtime as part of, of, of the overall event, which would be a nice one as well to go to, I think. And of course, the, the foraging is hugely popular at the moment. It is. It is. Loads of people getting into it. And it's become, um, we've noticed that it's become quite a, a family um, activity in that there's a huge kind of educational element um, on, on the side of kids as well. So um, that, that's really been picked up on, on the family side of things this year. Okay, perfect. So moving from Cavan then to on. Dublin the following weekend. Right, so from the 14th to the 16th of August, there is the Big Grill Festival. Now this started, its debut year was last year, and it was a sold-out sold event Um it and I've looked at the itinerary. We've we've purchased myself and my husband have purchased our tickets for this already. Um, the itinerary looks bigger and better than last year. Um, again, a jam-packed program over the two days, um, and it's for it's for barbecue lovers. And actually, they've they've added and they've expanded on the craft beer element for this year as well. So loads of local craft beers are going to be down there. And cider also. We had Craigie Cider on last week and I know they're going to be at that event. That's right. That's right. There's there's craft beers and craft ciders um, going to be featured, which is, you know, which is kind of a natural, um, a natural, I suppose, addition to to the barbecue scene. So it's it's going to be a really, really good one. Um, it's going to be presenting new uh, attractions with pitmasters, loads of pitmasters down there, Irish and international. Andre Lima de Luca, who is the world's best pitmaster from Brazil, he's going to be down there doing his thing. There's going to be whole animal cooks and Ireland's first USA low and slow barbecue competition. So it certainly is something that I'm going to be uh, to be planning um, and going to this year. It sounds great. And actually, they have um, added JustEat.ie to, to, to run the logistics um, of the event this year. So that should alleviate any queuing, potential queuing problems um, between the, the stalls and the eating areas as well. So that'll be great. People that are going to that should keep an eye out for John Relihan, who's actually from Dua in County Kerry, because I know he's going to be at that event. He was working for Jamie Oliver and Jamie Oliver's barbecue uh, restaurant, Barbacoa in London. That's right, that's right. Um, and there, there are so many of them... Um, Sharon, you'd really want to go. The the website actually is is really really good. It's very entertaining, quite explosive. And looking through it, you you kind of you get a sense of excitement for the event as well. So I'd kind of urge everybody who who is interested in it to have a look at the website because there is loads going on. So that's the big grill festival. What's next then, Sinead? Then, um, I know I mentioned this last time, but I'm going to kind of refer to it again, which is a taste of Loch Derg. 
Um, and it's a series of food events that is happening in the Loch Derg region over the month of June, July and August. Um, Loch Derg um, covers counties, Clare, Galway and Tipperary, small villages like Terryglass and Drummanir, and of course Ballina, Killaloo are in there as well. So restaurants and I suppose participants of the of the event are going to be providing tasting menus with local produce and specific dates. But there's a couple of mini, let's say intimate August events that, that are quite interesting. So for example, um, in August, they have a guided foraging for edible flowers, herbs, and assorted um, salads. That is going to be happening in the community gardens in Scarf in County Clare. It's a lunchtime event and has become, it looks like a family event. So it's a guided walk through the community gardens. You gather all of your ingredients that are going to be prepared and served outside um, and enjoyed with freshly baked pizza with wood wood fire ovens that are going to be on site so I think that's a lovely lovely little event sounds great yeah yeah it's great Um, and then on the 19th of August which is a Wednesday night this is kind of their capstone event for for the series they have the temporary food producers long table um, event and that's going to be happening in Coolbawn Quay um, and it looks it's going to be bringing guests on a culinary tour let's say of Tipperary um, a special menu is going to feature seasonal produce um, from food producers in the area there's going to be entertainment and of course you're going to be in the gorgeous surroundings of Coolbawn Quay and the shores of Loch Durgan that evening but I think it's going to be quite a, a, an intimate event there's going to be an extensive menu um, plenty of interaction with with local producers and everything like that on that night. I love the long table dinner concept. I think it's just so It is great. Yeah, it's it's just such an enjoyable night. And you have a couple more events, Shania, just before you go? Um we have French Ballina, which is happening um in Ballina in County Mayo. Um it's celebrating the connection between France and Ballina. Um, and the town is going to be transformed um, to resemble a, a French town um, with food and culture being the, the key parts of this festival. Um, there is going to be a 25 Eiffel Tower happening and of course a lot of French cuisine is going to be up there. That's on the 22nd and 23rd of August. That sounds fantastic. Great, yeah. It's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. Um, then on the 28th to the 30th of August, we have a Taste of Donegal. This is another huge food event. Um, again, it's over three days. It's a, it's a jam-packed itinerary. There's going to be cookery demonstrations and master classes. Um, and there's going to be a fireworks display on the first night after the opening as well. So that's definitely one to, 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 to watch out for. And I'd say No Salt Chef Brian McDermott will be at that as well. Yes, there's a lot of the, 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 the same, like Nevin, Kevin Dundon, Brian McDermott is going to be there, Anthony Armstrong, Martin Anderson, they're all going to feature up there as well. And they, there, there will not be a second to spare if you go to this festival. There's so much in it. Again, loads of exhibition stands up there. So there's plenty to kind of taste and, and take away with you as well. And one more then, if you have expensive taste in shellfish. That's right. This is more of an intimate one. Um, it's the Docky Lobster Fest. And that's happening on the 28th to the 30th of August. Um, and it sounds like a really kind of chilled out um, festival that is that, that, that is happening over that weekend. Um, there is going to be, 
it's obviously going to be celebrating seafood. Seafood is going to be the main feature on all of the outlets for the festival, and there's going to be a, a jazz element to it as well. So if you can imagine, I, you get a sunny weekend from the 28th to the 30th of August, um, it would be the perfect one to go to. Put the child of Prague out, so... That's right. <laughs> and details of all of those events will be on discoverireland.ie forward slash food. That's right, that's right. Sinead, great to talk to you as always. You're off on your holidays yourself, so have a yeah. fantastic time. And we will talk again soon whenever you return to give us all the details about what's on in September. Great. Thank you, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Great as always to talk to Sinead and don't forget to log on to discoverireland.ie forward slash food for further details on the events highlighted. Another event that I want to bring your attention to is the Lemonade and Lollipops fundraiser that Tesco is hosting in its stores this Saturday. It's in aid of Temple Street Children's University Hospital, which is Tesco's 2015-2016 charity partner. From 11 o'clock in the morning until 5 o'clock, there will be lollipops and lemonade available in all Tesco stores throughout Ireland in exchange for a donation. So please do support that if you're shopping in Tesco's on Saturday. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks for joining me and thanks to all of tonight's guests, Rachel Keeley, Claire Dalton, Sinead Hennessy and of course to Trish McMahon and Brian McDermott, the No Salt Chef. A final reminder that the Best Possible Taste podcast is online at soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show. I'll be back at the same time next week, all being well, and I'll air the interview about my food themed trip to Belfast then. Full details were revealed here on West Limerick 102 FM recently when Trish McMahon interviewed me for the exchange programme. So you've that to look forward to next week. Until then, have a great week. Happy International Beer Day for Friday. And bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.